0: is the Learning 3.0 podcast. I'm Rustika Lam from Bloom. And in each episode, I chat to learning and technology thought leaders and how to support business performance through people performance. Nick Mackison smith is the director at Five New Zealand, who are experts in leadership development, executive coaching, learning strategy, design and implementation, culture change and engagement. He's worked in capability and leadership roles in blue chip companies such as McKinsey's, Deloitte's and Goldman Sachs. He's passionate about people over process newly self-employed wishing he'd done it years ago he's the founder and ceo at five new zealand which develops world-class leaders learning strategies and capability programs to give people in business the edge so nick welcome to the learning 3.0 podcast thanks for having me that's good that's good as as we were just saying before we started that's um We've known of each other so much in the space, but we haven't really talked before. So it's really great to talk with you.
1: Absolutely. Great to finally have this good conversation. Thanks.
0: <laughs> so Agile in learning and development is what we're going to talk about today, because I think globally that has become certainly a thing. And I don't know if you've seen the Sky TV podcast that David James did, Tracy Waters from Sky TV and how they implemented Agile.
1: I haven't seen that podcast, but I have heard David James talk a lot about uh, Agile implementations before, and I've, I've seen a lot of his posts on LinkedIn, and he's an absolutely fascinating chap. and totally on board with everything they're trying to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, and in the show notes, I'll put that particular podcast, because it is amazing how Tracy took, you know, 30,000 people from a very traditional learning and development process to an Agile one in their journey, right. and that sort of got me interested in, well, who's doing this in New Zealand? And I asked our friend Emma Kirkman. I said, Emma, who are the top five? Because gonna, I'm going to interview her. And your name came up. So you're the first in our series. So,
1: Because
0: wow. I know that you're doing other things over and above that. And you were saying before that you, you were trying to escape from Agile. But um, do you want to give us a bit of a background about where you've been, what you're doing, and what you've done in the Agile space? Because you've got some pretty good stories.
1: So my first exposure to Agile was uh, back in the UK, probably you know, eight or nine years ago. I was working at Goldman Sachs, looking after part of Goldman Sachs University for a reasonably large part of the business. And we had elements of our teams that were experimenting with this new thing. It was brand new and it was called Agile. And at the time, there was a little bit of uncertainty about what it is and what it's supposed to do and a little bit of skepticism about whether this new way of working was going to make a difference to people. And we had all different kinds of processes and teams in place. We had Kaizen, and we had the um, the Toyota management approach, I forget what it was called, but loads and loads and loads of different things. And there was this feeling that it was just another one of those that was coming along. Fast forward to a couple of years ago, I was working at Spark New Zealand running learning and development for them. And we had a, a visit from some people at McKinsey, did some research about what McKinsey might be doing uh, with us at Spark New Zealand, and, and our leaders at the time, Simon Muta, and Joe McCollum, our, our Chief People Officer, two amazing visionaries, were talking very openly about their intent to go all in on Agile and, and to take the business into a new direction. And they were talking about Agile at scale, something that had never been done before, certainly thinking about the entire business rather than just pockets of the business. And that for me was really exciting. I think the always the opportunity to be involved in something that's not been done before is a really cool thing. And you can look at it in two ways you can either fear the unknown or you can run towards the unknown great thing about spark is we said hey do you know what it's, it's unknown but we reckon it's going to make a big difference let's go for it so heaps of exposure at spark it was a good year's worth of effort to get a transformation in place uh, i had the privilege of um, leading the boot camp which is two of the most fun uh, and memorable days in my entire career which is yeah. taking every single person at spark through a, a two-day awesome experience of what it feels like to be agile in its Spark arena. So it was a pretty big, cool event. Subsequent to that, I've um, supported the Warehouse Group with their Agile transformation and with their bootcamp, again, working with uh, with friends at McKinsey. Uh, and I've also supported a, a New Zealand tax business with their Agile transformation as well on a, on a very different scale, um, yeah. but equal levels of passion and determination to to make a difference to their ways of working. So I yeah. love it. I love it. I think it adds so much value and my business now also adopts agile ways of working as our default.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting with agile because I think there's a bit of mystique around it and what actually is it. And I and as I started reading and digging and listening to people in this space, it seems that agile and Kanban and all of those terms that get thrown around. Oh,
1: um, fancy words. It's
0: pretty misunderstood. So do you want to explain what agile actually is?
1: Yeah, look, honestly, I think there's so many aspects to Agile and it's really, really important that we understand about uh, what they are and why each of these things is involved and why it's necessary. So Mm -hmm. there's elements of Agile that are structural or they're procedural. And they're things like having a really disciplined structure or a cadence of times when teams are going to come together and they have a really well-defined set of objectives for what needs to happen in those times, those meetings, and really clear expected results that they need to be able to get within a very defined period of time. The structure is really good and it's really valuable because it means that teams can build on their work in a really repeatable and actually really incremental way. right? It's small, tiny incremental improvements rather than having a really massive project with a big delivery at the end of it. What that means is you can break down these really enormous, overwhelming projects of work into really small, manageable chunks of work. I think that's really cool. That reminds me of revising when you're back at uni or back at school and you get to the end of the year. And those people who cram and go, oh, I have to learn everything all at the same time, and they try and put it all in, it's just really, really hard to do. But Mm -hmm. if you break it down into small bite-sized pieces over a longer period of time, it's much easier to tackle this otherwise insurmountable task. So I think that's cool. That's the structural part of Agile. The second bit, and really this is the bit that for me makes agile work and makes agile really special, is this whole point about mindset and behavior. This is about Mm. being agile, not doing agile. This is being agile. This is about people shifting their way of thinking in a number of really, really, really important ways. One is people look to take accountability for identifying and solving problems. Mm -hmm. Really simple. You spot a problem, you take it upon yourself to find a way to solve the problem. This is not the old way of, hey, do you know what, there's a thing over there, and I'll just turn a blind eye and step away. Or, hey, there's a thing over there, someone else will take care of it. All right? And I've had a number of times, we heard this at Spark a lot, and we had Gilbert Anoka, who's done some work with the All Blacks, came to talk to us at Spark a number of times. And something he said really stuck in my head, it's the standard you walk past is the standard you choose to accept. And I think that's really relevant to Agile as well, right? If you Mm. you choose not to take accountability for things and you walk past those things, how can you expect stuff to improve? So that's the first thing, right? Take accountability to spot and solve these problems. The second thing is about growth mindset. Now, we're learning professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, We know the value that, that growth mindset has to helping people and helping businesses and helping organizations solve whatever they want to we need within Agile people to shift their limits of their current levels of experience and capability by having this growth mindset. We want them to constantly be looking for feedback. Help me learn. Help me grow. How do I get better? All right. We want people to be able to crave this feedback, not avoid it, not see feedback as a dirty word or it's difficult because someone's going to say something I don't like. This is people seeing the opportunity to learn and looking proactively for those people who see the world around them in a different way. Go and get different perspectives, right? That's all part of this agile mindset. And then the third thing, I think, is around decision-making. Like decision-making in a traditional way of working is tends to be more hierarchical, mm-hmm. tends to be based on someone's tenure, tends to be based on someone's seniority. Not always, but often. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it can be based on the volume of their voice, You know, the person who speaks the loudest or person who bangs the table. And in some sad cases, it's sometimes the person's gender or, you know, someone's age. Mm -hmm. So all of these things that get in the way of decision-making and they have to go and they have to change. And Agile is a really neat way to do that. It's a great level of decision-making. You have total transparency of conversation and how people feel. And it is a collective mission to make decisions. It's not about one person going, here's what we're going to do. It's about a team having a really robust discussion and then making a collective decision. And then the last bit, this is my favourite. Um, <laughs> I was talking about this this morning at a tax conference with uh, chartered accountants, which was unleashing your limitless creative and innovative powers by simply asking, how might we? Every time that you encounter a barrier or roadblock, instead of saying we can't, it's not possible, can't do it before, we've tried it before. It's get rid of all of that stuff. Shift your mindset to a curious one of how might we solve this? What might we try? What might we do? And those things unlock this enormous wealth of opportunity. So you ask me what Agile is and like how would you describe it? It's impossible to fit in a sentence. It's structural, it's mindset, it's behavioral. You put all those things together and it makes it really special. What makes it hard is lots of organisations tend to focus on one of these things versus the other, or put more weight on one of these things than the other one. And the truth is both of these things need to be taken care of in equal measure for Agile to work really well and for your people to feel really valued and for your business to get the results that it needs.
0: Awesome. That's a really good description, and I hadn't heard it described that way before, and I think that's uh, that's a great explanation. So if we applied that to the learning function, and as you say, you headed up the L and D function at Spark, what did that look like? So if we've got people listening going, I really think I need to get into this agile space, like what would that look like from the traditional scenario now of, of how people, you know, analyze, design and develop learning? Or is it about performance? That's that's the other thing. I'll hit, <laughs> or do we even it, open that can?
1: It's the thing, right? It's <laughs> it's about all of these things. I think the really important thing with adopting an agile way of working in a learning team is firstly to approach it in an agile way so how we did this at spark was i sat down with a piece of paper and i drew a picture of what i thought it would look like and then i put that picture in a drawer and i locked the drawer and i left it in the drawer and i said to the team hey we're going to do agile this is an agile team wouldn't it be great if we incrementally worked out what is our best way of working what might that be for us do we need to have two squads? Do we need to have three squads? Do we need product owners? Do we not? Do we need one backlog or two or three? What is the best way for us to do this? Do we need a chapter? Do we need a chapter lead? Let's have a play. And whilst that was, I can see, confronting for some, right? You're, you're presenting people with not a blank canvas, but you're giving them permission to play, right? Within mm-hmm. the constraints. We can't go and add a whole load of new people that we don't have budget for. We don't have headcount for that. We can't add brand new skills immediately. We have to go through a process of learning and acquiring new skills. We can't expect to flick a light switch and have a new mindset from day one. So this was all about test and learn. And the best way to do agile learning is to test and learn. That's the whole point of it, right? Yeah. Try something, see what works, see if it feels good. If it does, if it works, you get the results, stick with it. But then think about how you can make it better the next time around. So the first structure the team came up with work? No, it did not work. But it wasn't my place to say, guys, this isn't the right structure. told you so. Do you know what? Look in the draw. Here's the answer. Um, well, there's,
0: there's good leadership right there, right?
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Very kind. Um, and the longer it goes on, the more you sit there and, and think, oh, come on, look, I, should I intervene? Should I interject? Should I tell them the structure that I really want to happen here? And you have to hold yourself back. You have to withhold that judgment. You have to withhold the tenure and the experience because actually... Who says you've got it right? Who is it to say that the thing that you draw on that piece of paper is the right structure and you've got it right all along? What well, gives me the right to say this is the structure that you're going to have? So they had a go. They did a couple of sprints and decided that they'd change it again. I forget the number of sprints that they went through, but they ended up with something that was pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good way of working. They worked out that they needed two squads or one squad and a chapter. Our chapter included learning partners and each of those people were embedded in the business. And the the mantra there was, if you're at your desk, you're not where you need to be. You need to be with the people who need to learn. You need to be out in the business. But we had a build team. And the build team were working off a backlog and they were producing. So Mm. they were producing learning content. They were producing frameworks and wireframes and building our learning platform, our core, uh, which we built from scratch, using an agile way of working, which is quite remarkable. Mm. uh, No previous knowledge of how do you build a learning platform. (laughs) Um, So trust your team.
0: And I would just, as a little digression there, I'd say probably the only company team in New Zealand who's built something that A, worked, and B, didn't cost a lot of money. I've got a couple of horrendous stories. One in the millions that was built and not worked in taxpayers' money.
1: Yeah, well, we didn't spend taxpayers' money or millions. No. Um, We did it on a relative shoestring. uh, What was really impressive, and the the team needs to take an awful lot of credit, in fact, all of the credit for this, was that we had a learning management system that wasn't ticking the boxes, it wasn't doing what we needed it to do. And it was
0: relatively... <laughs> probably 80% of companies in Zealand. Yeah. Zealand yes. Yeah,
1: and we made a decision to finish the contract. And the provider, who, I won't mention them, um, mm-hmm. very successful business, was saying, who are you migrating to? We'll help you with the migration and we'll make certain we get it all set up. And they were doing the right thing and being very diligent. Uh, and I said, well, we're not. We're not migrating to anyone else. We're building our own. And the, the look of surprise was I remember that of you're doing what? You're building your own. (laughs) Uh, And I told my team and said, hey, look, I've cancelled this contract and we're going to build our own and I trust you guys and here's some budget and we've got five weeks to build it.
0: Amazing. And
1: -hmm. they did it. Uh, And at the beginning they said, well, we don't know how to do that. We've never built one of these before. And I said, I know, I haven't either. um, But I trust you guys to work it out. And we've got the squad, we've got the skills in the team, we've got air cover, we've got backing from our leadership team to do this who are massively supportive. I'm enormously grateful. Many organizations would not say, yeah, go on then. But they were very, very supportive of innovation. And yes, you want to build something new, you believe your team can do it, go for it, see what you can mm-hmm. make. So an amazing culture of innovation. And that came from agile, right? That didn't come from anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It came from empower and trust, allow your people to be creative. And they did. They built a working minimum viable product in a short space of time that replicated all of the features and functionality we needed mm-hmm. to be able to put all of our content in.
0: And there's a really good case study, I believe, on the Medium magazine. That Was it Rachel wrote?
1: Yes. So uh, Rachel Reeves, who was our product owner for that platform at Spark, has written a fantastic uh, article. It's on mm-hmm. Medium. It's also on the Five website. It's called How I Built the Netflix of Learning. It's a fabulous read. Please do have a look. It's about 15 minutes of read, but it is well worth it. Yeah, Um, it's long, but it's good. Yeah, a lot long, but very good. And it's one of those things that I remember Rachel talking about it and saying, you know, it's like being in a dark room that's full of furniture and spikes and (laughs) falling over constantly and hurting (laughs) ourselves, looking for the light switch, but knowing that the light switch is in there somewhere. And it's that belief that you can do it and you're close and it is there, but there's an awful lot of pain and discomfort to go through first.
0: And it's the mind it's obviously the mindset, you know. You said there's those three, you know, structure mindset behaviors. That's just the mindset totally. that she had.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. And look, having a squad or a backlog didn't make that thing happen, right? That was the tool that we used. Mm-hmm. What made it happen was the way that the team thought about it and solved problems and worked together and discussed it and incrementally built on things that just didn't work.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's really Agile. awesome. You've talked about the roles quite a bit and, and I believe that Agile is probably not well understood in, in learning teams in New Zealand. Do you want to just explain the different roles in Agile? Because so you have got your product owners, you've said you had business partners, you know, you had these different people doing different roles. Can you want to explain yeah. a bit about Agile roles?
1: In the learning team, you mean, or just Agile in general?
0: Just in general, because it will apply to any team, really.
1: Yeah, sure. It kind of varies. This is the thing. I I go and work with clients and it's one group will call it a spade and one group will call it a shovel. And they might be doing similar things. Or one group will call it a spade and the others will call it a spade and they do completely different things. So I think with Agile, one of the things that's beautiful is that organizations make it their own. Where that becomes problematic is it's really hard to nail down a very specific definition of what these things are, what they should do and what they should be. So you know, very broadly, speaking broadly... Product owners are generally responsible for ensuring that the product ships within a specific time frame to a certain standard uh, and that the tasks that the team commit to do get done. So it's a really neat role. It's like, a, um, I like to describe them as the engine of the team, constantly taking over, constantly looking to understand where things are at, and what's going on, making certain that teams don't overcommit to delivery uh, and making certain that they follow through on things. Agile coaches, I love working with Agile coaches. I think they're a a fabulous group of people and we've got some really wonderful coaches here in New Zealand and and some brilliant groups that all come together that, that are constantly looking to share their knowledge and grow with each other. Agile coaches are here to help teams challenge each other and ensure that every single voice is valued and heard in a really safe environment. I would go so far as to say their most important role is ensuring that there is psychological safety Above all else, yes, they facilitate conversations. Yes, they run different workshops and stand ups and help people with creativity and innovation. But all of that happens because they are there to create this psychological safety where everyone feels Mm -hmm. that they have an equal place in the team. And I think that gets missed a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly, the best agile coaches that I've seen and worked with really focus on this safety thing, really focus on trust and empathy and digging deep in on relationships with people. And that's such a skill. I really applaud them. When you think about people like chapter leads, a chapter is a group of people who have a a similar skill set, or they call it a craft. Mm -hmm. A craft is a thing that you do. So we might be a learning chapter, if you like, like the industry that we're in, we're learning. And it's people who all do similar roles. The chapter lead is responsible for the development of the craft, so that every single person is growing within their specific craft. And that's really cool. They don't manage those people. They're responsible for the professional development of their skill sets and their mindsets and attitudes in that specific area.
0: So just a question on that. So in the training learning space, would you have a coach of, say, design and a coach of development? Because, I mean, development's so different to design. So or is it just one? one. Look, at,
1: I think you could do. We didn't at Spark. And if I was to do it again, I, I wouldn't either. I think when your teams are small enough, you can get by with a coach, like one coach. Oh. Um, and psychology is psychology. It doesn't matter if it's psychology of design sure. or psychology of whatever. And helping people communicate, it, it doesn't matter what the work is that they're doing. It's about the core at all, right? It's about enriching this dialogue that people have. I, I would say you just need a coach, a really good one, who's willing to push buttons and willing to, I don't want to say not be liked, but willing to not care if people mm-hmm. like them or not because they're actually having the right conversations in service of the group.
0: Mm, Absolutely. That's good. Are there any other roles that would fit you with your coaches, your builders, your partners? Who else is in there?
1: Yeah. um, When I was sitting in this agile structure, I I looked at my role and thought, well, what is my role? I don't even know what I am anymore.
0: What was your role? What what was your official title? (laughs) I
1: don't know. don't remember. Um, (laughs) I think I had three or four different titles that we played with at a time and none of them really felt right. And for me, it's not about the title. It doesn't doesn't really matter what, what you call yourself. It's about the role that you play. And I was playing a role of a coach, but I was also playing a role of a product owner and I also was playing a role of a chapter lead, and it didn't quite feel right. Yeah, Um, I think here is then an opportunity to say, do you know what, agile learning teams, I'm not sure that they need a learning leader. I'm not sure they need the traditional head of L&D. And at times I felt like a spare wheel. I don't think my team would have said that. I think they who knows? They're probably listening to this and will put comments in saying, yeah, you are needed. Um, but at times I, I felt like, you know, we've set you up so that you can be self-managing. We've set you up so that you can make smart decisions. We've set you up so that you guys can grow for yourselves. And if you're proactive and if you're empowered and if you're driven, therefore, what is the role of the leader? And my role changed quite significantly. And I think it's just the natural part of agile. That my role was to, yes, coach them, but it was more about being an empowerer. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. Um, A person who empowers the people in the team to be at their best all day, every day. I don't think that's got a label, but that was the thing that was needed. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think that's confronting for learning leaders. If you say you might set up your great team, but you might not be in it and you might not be needed. I think yeah. there's a lot of people who would say, ooh, don't we don't know about that. I don't think I want to take my team down there. That's it's right. personally
0: risky, right? Which comes back to growth mindset that we we're talking about before as growth,
1: well. Growth mindset. What else could yeah. you do? How might you grow and, and stop being in the same position? What else and, could you do?
0: And that's it, it. There's that question, how might I, how might we? You know, how that's might it. I? That just opens the possibilities massively. That's it. So let, let's talk about this, like, like tactically an example. So there's a piece of work that needs to be done that has been done traditionally, and let's just say privacy law update right now. Okay? Oh yeah. Coming in December. How would you, how might we, you, yep. us, how might we do that agilely versus a traditional way of doing it? Like what would that look like?
1: Uh, it's such a lovely question. So let's just be really clear on what the traditional way of doing it might be, which is stakeholder says, hey, yeah. we need oh. to do this thing. I've got <laughs> this need here's my content, make me a module.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How does that sound? That sounds
0: quite normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and team says, okay, we'll build a module. And you do a module and then you do a review.
0: Or two, maybe,
1: maybe if you're we <laughs> yep. see, see what we get to. Uh, and then you end up putting it on your LMS and launching it to a population. And then they all click next, 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 next. Take a test that they don't really pay any attention to. And then everyone thinks that the people have learned, but actually they haven't. That's the traditional one. Yes, yes,
0: yes, In most so, cases,
1: yes. <laughs> yeah, so we all know that that approach is not probably going to lead to great learning outcomes for many people and is going to take a whole lot of time and isn't going to be an engaging experience for people and isn't going to be fun to build either. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's be honest, I'm not sure that privacy is the most interesting of Things to spend an hour clicking through, but it is massively important, right? So you've got to make certain that people know the importance of it and still want to sit there and engage. So, how would you do it in an agile way? Great question. I think you've got to get out and you've got to get curious. You need to understand your customer, right? So, you're building it with the customer in mind. The customer is the person who's got to learn this stuff, right? You're out there and you're gathering data and insight. What is it that these people need to do? What is it these people need to understand? Think, do, learn change behavior. You go out and you ask your stakeholders again, What is it, what are the outcomes that you're looking for? But you've got to set up a team that includes those people and your stakeholder and your designers, and you're building on an incremental basis. It's not, here's the thing, go off and build me a module. This is, we're going to build this together. We're going to work on the content together, and we're going to work on the delivery module together. We're going to work on the wireframes together, and we're going to incrementally work out which pathway do we need? Do we need three? Do we need four? Do we need five? Let's go back. We need two, right? Not we define it up front, then we build it in storyline, then we publish. So there's a lot more of test, learn, review, test, learn, review as you go through. But the composition of the team is very different. The SME is not passing you a PowerPoint deck and then disappearing and being the imp- approver. The SME is an integral part in the design. Yes. Um, how we did this at Spark is we upskilled our SMEs to create the content for themselves. And so you know what? We're going to show you how to do this. You're the SME. Please do not try and teach us about privacy. We're experts in learning. Yeah. Um, all we need to be experts in is learning, not privacy. We cannot be all things to all people. You are the expert in this thing and you shall remain this. Now let's work together on how do we make your story come to life? How do we make it seeing? How do we make it engaging? So that's That's, the difference. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a totally different way of doing things. Yes, it requires more investment from your stakeholder, right? But what it means is you get more investment from the audience.
0: That's right. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's just as that question, right? Is it worth it? If this message is as important as you say it is, you'll dedicate your time to help with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if absolutely. it isn't, by all means, put a PowerPoint in their inbox, but we're probably not going to do what needs to happen, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. We're not going to perform, which is what we want people to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And performing well. So what about the pitfalls? Like what are some of the pitfalls or traps to avoid? If people are thinking, this sounds pretty good, I'm going to give this a go. Oh, what are some yeah. of the traps?
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. Goodness me, there's so many. There's so many traps, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. I mean, traps, I love traps because traps are opportunities to learn. They really are. I love it when I find myself in a trap because then it helps you flex your learning muscles and say, how did I get here? And yeah. I'm excited I don't get here again <laughs> and what am I going to do to get out of it? So the way that you view traps is really important.
0: Mindset again, back to mindset. Some yeah. of Agile things are a lot about mindset. It's,
1: it is, it's all about mindset. Trap number one it's a big one. If you flip to Agile in a waterfall way, sounds ah. really crazy, but it's really easy to do. That is, you've got a deadline when the thing needs to happen. You've got a project team who are working on it. And you've got a program of work to deliver up until that deadline. What you get, (laughs) it's it's waterfall. That's what it is. And it sounds like a crazy thing to do, but it is surprisingly easy to fall into that, the habit of the way that you've always done things. It's it's like that example with my learning team when I was like, we need to be an agile learning team. And I'd drawn the picture. I had it in my drawer. And it (laughs) it would be so simple to just go, here's the structure, guys. We'll go through a process, you know, this is where we're at. So easy to do. Way harder to withhold your judgment. Way harder to just let the process take over. Way harder. But so did, much better outcomes.
0: So if you're, your old team's listening to this, would they know about this picture in the drawer that you locked?
1: Yeah, I showed them the picture in the drawer. And oh, they, the knew t- <laughs> they, they knew it was in there. They knew it was in there. So, um, or at least the people in Auckland did who were sitting around because I had it there. And from time to time, I'd pull out and noodle on it and scribble on it and draw funny faces and ask myself questions like, have I really got this right? And all of the doubt that creeps in. Mm. Um, but yeah, they, they knew it was there. I was very, <laughs> very honest with my team. I love my team and I'm very proud of them. They're a great, great team. That's probably the first trap. I think the second one is really obvious. If you focus on structure and process instead of focusing on people, It ain't gonna work.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? The transition for them is gonna be way harder than writing any process or any policy or setting up a new cadence of meetings or redesigning your office or any of those things. Because what we're talking about is people's feelings, people's habits, people's behaviors, what people are used to. You're disrupting their world, right? People need to have a safe space to discuss how they feel, feel really safe. And to be able to voice a different perspective, right? So you've got to focus on people. But I do see, and I've read lots of articles about this, not the people that I've worked with because they're typically very sharp uh, on, you know, people must come first, but lots of articles about businesses that just, we've put a structure in place and we've told our people to work in this way and and agile doesn't work. Well, of course it doesn't Mm, work. Agile is not about structure. It's about the mindset and the behaviours, right? And the structure is an enabler of that. So
0: just just on that, so... We're very lucky in New Zealand that we've got Jacinta Ardern, who is very much, and all through COVID, she was all about kindness, 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 people, people, people. Yeah. yeah. Even the focus of our Indigenous people, the Māoris, who talk about the people, it's all about the people, the people, the people. Do you think now that we've been through COVID, maybe teams will be more open to that because we have a leader of our country who's actually also all about that? So maybe that's actually going to help the Agile cause.
1: I really hope so. I hope it's more than the Agile cause, though. I hope this is about humanity.
0: Oh, Um, yeah, 100%. I, I I don't want to
1: get too gushy, but to hear a leader stand up and lead with such empathy and love and compassion and care when all around you have examples in the world of quite the opposite, quite the polar opposite, and is willing to set an example for there's a better way to do this. And to get results, right? I mean, it's no surprise that we are where we are with COVID, due to that approach, right? And, and making certain that the people come first. You know, the, the people are the economy. The people are the ones that drive the economy. And, and you hear that message and go, "Yeah, you're so right." And then you look elsewhere, and people going, "We have to open up." But you open up, everyone's going to get it. No, anyway, COVID aside, <laughs> yeah. um, yes, I think that care and that love and that empathy and that style of leadership will permeate through businesses. And I think it is long overdue. Actually, shortly after the first lockdown, I got a call from an ex-leader of mine. I won't tell you which organization they're from. (laughs) Um, But we disagreed over leadership at an earlier point in the career. Years ago, we disagreed about leadership. Uh, And they called me and said, hey, that style of leadership you've talked about for so long is looking pretty good now, eh? Looking pretty (laughs) good now. Yeah, it's about time. And it was just such a wonderful moment to know that even the most Hardened detractors and people had such a different perspective can actually now see the value. Um, You've got to look after your people. And if you take care of your people, good results will happen for your customers, your business, and and outcomes, right? And it's the same with Agile take care of your people, your transformation will go well.
0: Mm, Very nice. Very nice. And we could have had a whole conversation about that, right? Yeah, we (laughs) could. Another podcast.
1: Never talk about politics. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <Especially not laughs> publicly. whoops oops and being recorded
1: and being recorded it's it's fine i think she's done an amazing job and, and i'm very very proud that she's the leader of new zealand and i'm very feel really lucky to be here in this country you See, i'm not from here i'm from the uk and i look back at the uk with dismay actually about how things are being handled and led over there so yeah mm,
0: it's
1: mm. a great style of leadership
0: Absolutely. And given that this podcast is over 50% of people are listening from overseas, they're probably agreeing with you. (laughs) Good. Come
1: to New Zealand when you can because we're very (laughs) lovely warm people.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. So any more tips about how to overcome any issues that you might have implementing agile?
1: Yeah, I mean the only other trap that I can think of is the copy paste trap Mm -hmm. where you attempt to deploy agile in a way that someone else has deployed agile. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because it's worked there doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And I really think that agile has to be done in your own organization's context, with your own people and your own culture and your own environment, because every business is unique, right? I always go into clients and they say, well, we're unique. And you hear it enough times and you look for similarities. And that's very cynical, right? And I always try to look for the points of uniqueness. And they are. They're right. They are unique. Every single business is different. So why on earth? Why on earth would we try and put the same model or framework in without any modification or adaptation? You must customize for it to be successful. Language is different. Roles are different. This is why I said each job description is slightly different in different places for very good reason.
0: Yeah. So my sixth and last question, which I'm going to bring forward, was actually, I was going to say, like, what book would you recommend? But then would you recommend a book if, if every structure is different and every client's different?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I would say you're thinking ahead exactly where I would go, which is get out of the books.
0: uh uh-huh. so,
1: is where it's at. right? If you truly want to learn what's going to be right for your organization or for your people, you've got to get really hungry for these perspectives. And you've got to have these really expansive and really rich dialogue with your people who work for your organization and people who don't work for your organization. So you've got to speak to people who've been through Agile before. You've got to understand what was their version of reality, what was good, what wasn't. You've got to search out those people who've left organizations to avoid being part of an Agile transformation. Find out why. Why did you make that choice to not be part of Agile? What was it? Talk to people inside the organization and learn about how do they feel about the idea of it? Where are their differences of opinion? Why are their differences of opinion? Really get amongst it, really take the time to understand what's going on. And only then, when you've got that insight, can you start to think about what's going to be relevant to your people and your context, what's going to be valuable to your business and what's going to lead to great results. And then you can start to build something that's going to be uniquely successful for your business. So it's not about a magic formula. It's not about applying a best practice because it's just not going to work for every organization. They are all different. They're all unique. (laughs) I don't think there's an instruction list in a book. I don't think you can follow it and end up with success. right? But I do think you will be enormously successful if you listen to your people right, and build something with them that works for them and your business and your customers. So, yeah, probably a rare one. Sorry, no book recommendation. Anti-book no. <laughs> recommendation. Go and have a chat and put your listening ears on.
0: Well, and I think it's people like you who work across organisations that people need to talk to, right, that have actually gone, I've worked in all these, these organisations and, and and you've got the experience. And, and I find this with... Um, learning ecosystems. It's like people are doing their day jobs. They don't have time to be experts in agile here or ecosystems here or custom, whatever the expertise is. Mm. When you work across different organisations, you get the experience. That's your job to get the experience so that you can yeah. take take that in. So
1: Yeah, and it, look, it's such, a, it's such a privileged position, right, to be offered an insight into these different businesses and these different cultures, which is why I feel so strongly about everyone can build something magic for themselves and that it's not an instruction list by all means get someone to help you with it because it is hard right it is clunky and it is it's complex at times and there's an awful lot of stuff to do so I'm an advocate for getting people to support you with it and external people are, are great at that there's some wonderful organizations around the world that do this and do this very very well but resist the temptation to take an off the shelf transformation
0: Absolutely. So last question, what would be the first step or what's the way to start into transitioning from traditional into Agile?
1: Wow. (laughs) Uh, What is the best way to start a transition to Agile? Goodness me. At what point though? The big cultural movement or the point at which you identify it's the thing you want to do? Like there's so many beginnings in Agile. Every single sprint is a new beginning.
0: So let's say we're a learning or training team and we've always done the, got an order from the SME, we go and make it, we deliver it after a review or two, here you go, see you later. Yeah. So, and then there might be leaders out there going, actually, well, what Nick did sounds pretty amazing at Spark. Like, what would I need to do with my team to get started?
1: Okay, got it. I would say the best thing that you can do is really take time to understand the problem that you're trying to solve before you move to try and create an Agile team. Simon Sinek talks about this a lot. And I I love Simon Sinek. I had Mm. the privilege to listen to him talk earlier this week on a a webinar. And he's always captivating and always has some gold in, in what he says. And one of the things that he said a long time ago, it's really stuck with me, and he said it again this week is... Don't try and solve a people problem with a system or a process, right? A people problem has to be solved with people. Mm -hmm. So really understand what is the problem that you're trying to solve. Is it you're not having the right conversations with the stakeholders? Don't go agile. Have better conversations with the stakeholders. Is it that your people don't feel empowered? Do you know what? You don't have to go agile for that. Empower your people. Have a conversation with the people and empower them. Give them some trust. Is it that their leader, you, if you are the leader isn't trusting their people. That's a people problem. Upgrade yourself, get over yourself and trust your people,
0: (laughs) right? Um, Well, that's been a big need over COVID, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but but look, if it truly is about ways of working to shift and it is about pace and volume and iteration and being to build something on an incremental basis and, and changing the nature of how you get stakeholders involved, that is both a people problem and a process problem. And there it becomes an opportunity to start talking about Agile. So I would say, don't just go and do it because you think it sounds great. Don't do that. Really, really, really understand the problem first. It's like a training needs analysis, but for yourself, right? What is the thing that actually you're trying to
0: solve in the first place? Yeah, interesting. And and there is that whole focus at the moment. I'm seeing a lot of vendors talk about solve the problem, solve the problem. But a, a, yes, and there is problems. But there's also, yeah. when, when you listen to Bob Moshe, Five Moments of Needs, there's also new people come in and just need to know something yeah. or something changes and we just need to change something. Or we in our need, we're a manager, we need to know more of something. They're not problems. That That's something else again. So okay. as you say, age Agile's not going to change that. But yeah, okay. what problem are you going to try to solve?
1: What problem? Like if, if you're doing it for the sake of doing it, I would question the motive. Mm. Uh, if you're doing it because it sounds cool or it sounds exciting, again, I'd question the motive. But if, if there truly is an opportunity to do things better and differently and deliver better results, and you can see a clear path. By all means, investigate, right? But it's like buying a new car, right? It's expensive to go and buy a new car. It's complex to go and buy a new car. There's a lot of paperwork. It's really hard to do. Sure, it might be shinier, but is it? do you need to do the effort, right? Is the one that you've got enough to get you from where you need to go? Does it still produce the same results? And it costs a lot of money right, to buy a new car. And if, if you dip your productivity for a time, because people are distracted and looking elsewhere, that is opportunity cost. right? It's, it's going to result in a dip, an initial dip in productivity before people get used to it. Mm-hmm. So you, you've really got to think it through. It is absolutely worth doing. And I'm a, a huge believer in agile and a, a strong supporter, but do it for the right reasons.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation. I think this is going to be a really good start for people to understand, you know, agile and in a wider sense, but also in in training and learning teams as well. And uh, we're having a bit of a chat before this, and you were saying twenty years. How's it going as a new business owner? And you're just saying, I wish I'd done it so much earlier, but you had all had these things to learn. So. So And now you've got a business, Five New Zealand. So how can people get hold of you? As, if you got a website? If how, what's the best way to get hold of you?
1: Yeah, we have a website. If we didn't have a website, we'd be pretty rubbish. <laughs> um, but it's, it's uh, 5nz.com. And we have a, a team of people. We're based in, uh, in Auckland in New Zealand. We have a, a team of people up and down the country as well. And we tend to be insomniacs. So um, <laughs> if you're outside of New Zealand and you want to work with us, that's super cool. We're probably awake in your time zone. Uh, and we probably are working with people where you are as well, and you know we'd we'd love to hear from you, even if it's a question or to challenge or you want a sounding board, whatever it might be. We genuinely believe in helping people to be better at what they do, and that doesn't always mean delivering a piece of work. Sometimes it means just being a sounding board or offering a different lens. So you know, reach out. We'd love to chat. We would love people to think differently about how learning happens in their organisation. So give us a call.
0: That sounds awesome. And, and I do know that you're one of the few people that I follow on LinkedIn that actually has very insightful posts and articles. So finding you on LinkedIn as well is probably the other great thing to do. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. How um, to find you there.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a real, real pleasure talking to you. And next time, either I'm in uh, where you are or you're up in Auckland where I am, let's uh, grab that coffee or a glass of wine.
0: <laughs> Always bubbles with me. Or bubbles <laughs>
1: <laughs> really love
0: it. Enjoy. <laughs> Bye.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks everyone. Take care. Bye.
0: If you'd like to get in touch with me to suggest topics or speakers, you can contact me on LinkedIn or Facebook or find the links in the show notes below. Keep on smiling.